Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations, where every week we dive into the topics of mental health, adversity, spirituality, and societal issues. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia, and join me in this week's episode where I sit down with the talented Claire Eisenhower. In this episode, Claire opens up about a major life decision that led her to embark on a journey from the corporate world to becoming a full-time author. We dive into Claire's courageous move of bidding farewell to Google, a tech giant, and opting for a path less traveled. She shares the inspiration behind her decision, especially after the pandemic, highlighting how the crisis made her reassess her priorities and chase her dream of being a full-time writer. Our conversation dives into the challenges of working for large corporations, where the demands of the job often overshadow personal pursuits and creative expression. I also share my own thoughts around having that nine to five routine where we lose so much of our energy and then don't have much left for ourselves or our family members, and we tend to pour from an empty cup. Claire sheds light on how the rigid structures within these organizations can impact one's family life and limit the exploration of one's true passion. Claire Eisenthal lives in the suburbs of Indianapolis with her husband, their two children, and their mud. She graduated magna cum laude from Purdue University. She has worked in digital marketing for over 10 years. The Rising Order, which is her first novel and what we discussed in this episode. And she's also writing the sequel for the book, The New Order. You can check out Claire online at her website, ClaireEisenthal.com, or you can find her on Instagram or Twitter at Claire Eisenthal. And if you could leave a five-star review or a comments in the comment section at the end of the episode, I would truly appreciate it. brief word for our sponsors. One of the things that's really helped my mental health is a daily routine. Every morning after doing some breathing exercises and cold exposure, I like a smooth cup of coffee. I've been drinking Four Sigmatics coffee for the last three years, and it's been very beneficial for my routine. I especially like their Lion's Mane and Chaga Mushrooms coffee, which helps me with my mental focus and energy every morning. Four Sigmatic is on a mission to infuse functional mushrooms into the foods and supplements people love and use daily. Their goal is to enrich minds and improve well-being. By pairing Lion's Mane with coffee for focus or Reishi with cacao for a sense of calm, their brews, blends, and powders get everyone in a good headspace so they can focus on what matters most. Check out Four Sigmatic and use the code EASY CONVERSATIONS, all one word, at checkout for 10% off your order. Today's episode is also sponsored by BetterHelp. Therapy can be very difficult for many people to start. In my personal experience, when I was going through my divorce, therapy allowed me to bridge a significant gap. With the help and support of my therapist, I was able to uncover a lot of repeated patterns and behaviors that were impacting my life. Through goal setting, I was able to focus on things that required attention 
which allowed me to improve the relationship that I had with myself and by extension, the relationship that I had with others. As a therapist, I've been able to see the positive benefits that clients are able to derive through healthy rapport and goal setting. BetterHelp allows a lot of flexibility where clients can schedule video sessions, sessions on the phone, or through messaging. In most cases, BetterHelp will match you up with a licensed therapist within 48 hours. If that's not a good fit for you, BetterHelp will work with you to find the right fit. Join over 4 million users today by following the link in the description or going to BetterHelp, that's H-E-L-P, betterhelp.com slash easy10 to get 10% off your first month of therapy. All right, Claire, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast tonight. I'm really excited to have you here and I'm really looking forward to our conversation tonight. Uh, I know we've been able to touch offline and I think uh, we're going to talk about some very interesting things, including your book. But before we jump into it, I do want to give you an opportunity to let the listeners know who you are and share a little bit about what it is that you do and then we'll take it from there. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. My name is Claire Eisenthal, and I am 34. I live in the suburbs of Indianapolis. I relocated during the pandemic from Chicago to move back home and be close to my family, be close to my husband's family. During that time, I worked as an account executive for Google. And this past fall, I made the big decision to quit my job there and focus on being a caretaker to my two young children and launched my debut novel, The Rising Order, which released October 3rd, 2023. So that's where I've been spending my time lately is promoting and marketing the book, trying to wrangle my four-year-old and two-year-old and then write the second book because it is a series. So it's been a really crazy 2023 and I'm very excited to kick off the new year and spend hopefully a full year as an author. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. And I'm sure we are going to talk about rising order, but I do want to take some time to understand your journey being in Google, right? And there's been a lot of stories that have come out in the media around how that company has treated their employees, but we don't have to talk about that necessarily, but yeah. What was it for you that you you felt this need? And obviously, children are important. Yeah. But outside of that, to want to leave your career there and then just focus on writing and obviously taking care of your own children. But yeah. outside of that, were there other factors that contributed to that decision? Absolutely. There were a few things that that really contributed to the decision. And it wasn't a sudden decision. It wasn't a knee-jerk decision. It was one that I had been planning for, that my husband and I had been planning for together. And I really like to make sure that that's very clear is because Mm -hmm. I think that there are responsible ways to make a really big career pivot and change. And Mm -hmm. I think uh, as I want to be careful that I don't just start to ramble here, but I think, of course, financial security is a big reason behind that. And I think a lot of us, there will never be enough financial security. And so I think you really just have to establish what that looks like for you, if that's something that you're interested in. But 
what when it came down to it, I couldn't really do what I was doing anymore. I was trying to balance a very demanding full time job in sales, two young children who are very demanding and needy in of themselves, and then also my dream of writing this book and bringing this book to the world and to to other people is what really drives me and really fulfills me, to be honest. And that was something that I wanted to turn my full attention to and I couldn't do it on top of the other things that I was doing. So that was the main catalyst. And I knew also that I, if I was still working at Google, I would always fall back on Google. Sure. And I'm very relieved that I made the decision that I did because of how demanding it's been to A, market and promote the book and then also write the second book. And I thought, I was going to have more time by doing that. And I, and honestly, I don't have more time. <laughs> I have less time. And then lastly, the only thing I'll add is that, yes, Google was making a number of strict return to office policies. And at that point, I had already relocated with my family back to Indianapolis area because we needed support during the pandemic when we didn't have any. And my family was, in my husband's family, they're our village. And we didn't have that when we were living in Chicago. We were living in a very expensive city. Childcare was really cost prohibitive. And, and Google was starting to demand that people return to the office. And I wasn't willing to do that. I wasn't willing to travel for my clients to the extent that I needed to. My manager and my immediate manager were being very supportive of me and had, and I feel very lucky for that. I think it's because I'd been at the company for a long time and I had proved that I was very good and effective at my job. Um, and, but I, they were starting to track badge swipes and who was swiping in and out. And they were telling you that they weren't doing it at the individual level and they definitely were. And yeah. it was like the perfect time for me to be like, this is, per it, it was really perfect timing for me to be like, all right, I'm moving on. I'm closing this chapter right as they were starting to really make sure and crack down on people returning to the office. It was all the stars aligning in that regard. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to unpack there. And I think one of the things where myself included, but a lot of people during the pandemic realized that maybe I don't need to be in the office to do my job, or maybe I don't need to work here. You're seeing a lot of it where a lot of people are taking the entrepreneurial route or perhaps yeah. doing something that they've always been passionate about, like yourself writing, yeah. but pandemic really allowed for that because you were able to get that separation from work, Yeah, which one of the reasons I did want to talk to you and, and do this episode is because I think a lot of people starting to realize how much their creativity is often halted when they're working for someone else, yeah. right? You're doing that nine to five, obviously the hours can vary, but a lot of the times you put in the extra effort and then you don't have a lot left for yourself. Your, your, yeah. your cup is empty. You don't have a lot left for your family. You don't have a lot left for yourself. And then especially in your case, if you've got a, a young children, a young family, then you really don't have much left for yourself. And I think yeah. people started to realize that during the pandemic which is why we're seeing a lot of people start working for themselves or doing other passion projects. And the whole concept of quiet quitting is really happening too, right? And it's come to yeah. the surface. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I'm sure that's probably something you've also thought about, right? Yeah, it really is. And 
I was starting to witness it happening around me at a much higher frequency than I'd ever experienced in my career at Google. And it was happening with prior, primarily the same demographic. It was women who all had families. And I was watching this unfold before me where, and all of this is my direct team aside, my manager, my direct, like I had such a positive experience with those people at Google, but the policies I felt very resentful of, especially the return to office, because to exactly your point, I was working in back-to-back meetings the majority of the day. Like I didn't have time to go into the office and socialize and get coffee and hang out with some of my younger peers. And frankly, I was at the point in my career where I didn't need to do that because I had already established so many relationships with people at Google where like I knew a lot of people and I can see the huge value in having people in the office and collaborating, especially when you're younger and just started out in your career. But I didn't feel like I needed it. And my priority at the time is not really going and hanging out with my coworkers. It's my family. It's doing Mm -hmm. a really good job. And then the time that I'm not spending it with my family. Mm -hmm. And the thought of going back into the office was really overwhelming to me because it was just so much more travel. It was like I I was worried about how I was going to get work done because I thought I was going to be way more unproductive because people were just going to want to hang out and talk and get lunch. And and I felt like the policies, and I still, I will say this firmly to this day, I don't, they don't accommodate like parents. They don't accommodate parents. They don't accommodate working women in this life that we're trying to lead that quote unquote centers around balance, which doesn't exist. And I think it, I think saying that we're trying to balance it all just puts this unnecessary pressure on us anyway. And so I still to this day feel very strongly about the fact that a return to office isn't effective. I think that Mm -hmm. it forces people to live in extremely um, expensive areas away from their support systems that allow them to work successfully and do a really good job. Um, And I just don't think that it necessarily leads to more productive work. Obviously, I'm very biased from that perspective, being a young woman myself who is a young family. But I'm in the thick of it. And there was a lot of other women like myself who were in the thick of it, too. And they had to make the choice. And I felt resentful that I did have to make that choice at a company that was once very progressive. Yeah. And, and I think a couple of things, again, to touch on. One of the things you mentioned was your focus was work because you wanted to be able to get your work done. So then you could yeah. go home to your family. But there's, that's a double-edged sword too, right? Like when mm-hmm. you're in a corporate culture, if you're not socializing with people, often it does impact what kind of opportunities come your way, right? Yes, and I'm speaking from personal experience because I very much like you, I just want to go into work, get my work done so then I can go home and do the things I enjoy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it is, it does come at a cost. Now, the other thing you talked about was the, you know, Google being a progressive company at one point, but at the same time with the return to work policy, not really accommodating people with families, especially women. So then how can a woman or or, yeah, how can women then balance that, like want to have a career, but then also start a family? What are your thoughts around that? I have a lot of thoughts around that. And I think that I remember both my sister and I venting to my mom about this and saying, why can't we have it all? And Mm -hmm. she just laughed at us and she was like, you can't have it all and you never will be able to have it all. And 
I remember thinking at the time that was a pessimistic approach to it, but I have come to accept that, no, she's exactly right. And I think that for somebody to think that they can, like I said, is what creates this really limited bandwidth that results in really intense burnout. And I've experienced that myself firsthand. And I still experience that even with my writing career, because now that I'm a full-time author and basically growing my, I'm an entrepreneur myself and growing my own brand as an author and getting readers and also trying to do that while taking care of my children, my very limited free time is usually spent working. And so I don't, Mm -hmm. I have to figure that out moving into this year for myself. It's like, how do I create these breaks for myself? So I don't just drive myself into the ground. Um, Going back to your original question, um, I would say that I would say that it needs to be a massive like corporate shift. I don't think that this responsibility should come down to the woman to figure out how to solve this problem. I think this is a society problem. I think that this is a corporate problem. And I think that like this burden, once again, falling on our shoulders is like BS. I The way that I'm able to successfully do this is having an amazing partner who we communicate with very well. And I think that's the key is having a support system around you, whether it be like neighbors who you're really close with, who can drop in at a dime if you don't have family close by, if it's family close by, if it's a spouse who is fully aligned with helping elevate you to the best of your ability and your dreams. I think it would be like finding a circle and an inner circle and leaning on them throughout this whole time. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. It's crucial. But one of the things we're seeing in society, and like you said, it is uh, a problem that society needs to solve. And yeah. Of it. But yeah. a lot of the times you're seeing now where a lot of women focused on their careers and didn't really start a family and then realized that later, yeah. in case you did that do you have any advice for women perhaps who are younger and starting their careers i know you said it's hard for people to find that balance and it's not really any one person's responsibility Mm -hmm. but what are some things women can do because obviously there's a lot of challenges that come up with that and and everyone's trying to navigate these waters right and and we're obviously learning from other people's experiences so mm-hmm. if you had to share some of your own experiences what would you say to, to someone who's perhaps facing the same challenges that's a great question and i think i would say do once you have a family your family is comes first and mm-hmm. everyone who's like, oh, put your marriage before your kids. I'm sorry. I don't really think that happens. And if it does for you, that's fantastic. I just think so often it, it just is unrealistic. And like our kids come first and foremost before ourselves, before my marriage. They are. And that's the same way for my husband, too. They're our number one priority in that regard. And it's just like a natural shift that happens once you do create a family. I think it's very biological. I just think what's what happens when you become a parent. And when you love some someone as much as you love your fantastic and incredible, very demanding little children. But in that same vein, I would say I'm so glad that I did things on my own timeline that I did. Mm-hmm. 
my husband and I did a huge amount of traveling before we had kids. And I wrote this book before I had kids. So I always make mm -hmm. that very clear, too, with people are like, how did you do this all? And I say, I didn't. I didn't write this book when I had children. And I don't think I could have, to be honest. I wrote this book when I was, I started writing it probably when I was maybe 27, 28 at, and mm -hmm. living in Chicago. And it was just my husband and I. And that's what I spent my time doing, hanging out with my friends, traveling, writing this book. And so I would say if you're early in your career, do, do everything. Say yes to everything because you know, later on in life, you really might find a partner and want to create a family and then that will be your focus. So if I hadn't done things in the order that I did, I think I would have felt very cheated of certain mm -hmm. things. Like I did an mm -hmm. international rotation in London. We traveled all over the world. We went to South Africa. We There were so many things that were such a critical part of bonding my husband and I even more closely together by having those shared experiences. And like I said, the amount of work that I was able to put into my work and my work of the book outside of my day job was so critical during that time, going to conferences, working with editors, trying to find an agent, trying to get published. Mm -hmm. So much of that happened before I had children. So yeah. I would say, do your thing. And when you're ready to have kids, have them. But do yeah. the things that you want to do first, because so often you think kids are going to solve certain things and does it. It makes life beautiful and wonderful, but really hard. Yeah. And, and the key point there, you mentioned that you, you and your husband spent that time bonding. So like you said, he's been a great supportive partner. Yeah. But you guys built that right together, yes, that exactly. foundation. So when you did have children, you were able to pull on it together. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we could both look back on the time that we had before kids and say we had zero regrets, but we like packed it all in. <laughs> and I realize that looks very different for different people based on their personalities and based on what they want and the things that they want to do. And I have a lot of friends who just really had a drive to create a family. And that's what that was their biggest priority. And so they had kids a lot younger than I. And so they're not as much in the thick of it as I am right now with young children they have older mm -hmm. more independent kids at this point so you, yeah. they'll have the chance to do those things that maybe i'm not able to do right now so i would also say that there's ebbs and flows in life and and this kind of goes back to your original question too is you're never going to be able to do it all and that's okay and i don't think you should think that you do have to do it all so do it do certain things during different periods of your life yeah absolutely said and going into the book and obviously your book's fictional but yes there is an element of perhaps some reality in there right have you, you had a chance to read it yet i haven't i've been able okay. to look into it and then we've obviously talked about it a little bit but mm -hmm. but yeah help the listeners understand a little bit about what's the gist of the book why is it called the new order and then we'll take it from there yes this is my first one's actually The Rising Order. And the next book that oh, I'm working on is called The New Order. But it's, it is a thriller suspense novel. And it's about a young woman who is working for a mega tech company. So it's very much inspired <laughs> by my time at Google. I fully admit it. Um, and she's a recruiter for a tech company. And she's taken hostage during a terrorist attack. 
And this organization uses her to infiltrate her company to essentially try to target the electrical grid in Chicago. So it is what my publisher and I say is like an adult take on the lead up to a dystopian society, but think like present day, like cyber warfare threats. And I always like whenever I describe the novel, I always feel like it sounds very not like military. It sounds very it's very character driven, even though there's a lot of action in the plot and there's a lot of depth to the characters. It's told from alternating point of view. There's romance sprinkled in. So there's something there for everybody. I wrote the book exactly how I like to read books, which is fast paced page turners. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, what inspired you to write about that or at least have that plot? What mainly inspired it was the increasing violence that has become so prevalent in our society today. And I was really driven to start asking the questions, not like, how does this keep happening? But essentially, like, why? Who are these people who are compelled to commit these acts of violence and who essentially are so focused on, you know, really destroying society as we know it? What drives somebody to do that and think like that? And so book was definitely an examination of that. And I think also in the same breath, we're becoming very desensitized to the violence and to the media and to the news. And I think storytelling is a way to process um, our current reality and our fears that are a result of our current reality. And so that's what this was for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and storytelling is very interesting, right? Because I've talked about it previously on this mm -hmm. podcast too, but we've evolved through the act of storytelling, right? Yeah. You hear people say, even the concept of money, like a piece of paper is based on a story, right? Which we all buy into yeah. and we give it some value based on the story we believe, right? And I think storytelling is powerful, especially in the world today where I think so much of our critical thinking is going away because we're becoming lazy, especially yeah. with artificial intelligence now coming down the pipeline too, which it already has. But mm -hmm. I think we're just becoming more and more lazy. And that's my one fear is we're going to lose that art of storytelling. And it's good to see that people like yourself are still doing that type of stuff. But that's my fear. And I think we're stepping away from that. And yeah. part of the other thing I'm seeing is we're relying on other people to tell us something so we can believe the truth rather than just conveying the story ourselves. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think I think misinformation is becoming a battle that is very scary and very dangerous. And everybody thinking they're experts on everything and coming to these knee-jerk conclusions about certain groups of people or individuals or certain crises that are happening with very acting on very limited and maybe even biased information. Um, and I, I think we're all guilty of doing that at some point, but it's becoming, it's happening at a very scary level that has the power to influence and sway real life politics at this point. And, and there's, 
there's a great power with that. They're like, that's not necessarily always a bad thing. There's always, of course, good that comes with that. But it's scary at the same time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And in your book, you touch on this cyber attack, which has become very real. Yes. Right? It's yeah. become very real. I think the whole intellectual property aspect of it and how do you attack someone you can't you can do it very covertly now through through cyber warfare as opposed yeah. to like real physical violence and that scares me too because you can laugh about it sometimes i'll joke around with friends but there's it's not really funny when you think about a lot of this like a lot of the nuclear countries that have the nukes and all of that and then you think about some of these cyber attacks and the sophistication behind them I, I know even locally here, we've heard stories about a lot of tech companies being attacked and then there being some sort of ransom or negotiation around releasing the information or whatever virus they shot through the system. So yeah. it's not that far from the truth. Yeah, exactly. With ransomware and zero-day viruses and I think... That was, as I wrote the book and as I did a lot of research on that, I think that was, I exactly had the same reaction as you did is this is really utterly terrifying that it's the wrong group of people has this type of information and this skill set, the power that they have to really debilitate basically anyone, it, any society, any country is really terrifying. And that's what our, that's what would be like a dystopian society for us in the present day is not access, no access to electricity or clean running water. It's like how quickly would things crumble? I think, yeah, I think that was really also what kind of inspired the process of writing the book is like, these are very real threats. And, and like I said, there's certain rules of war that countries quote unquote have to abide by. But if it's an organization like a domestic terrorist organization, they don't abide by the same rules. So they're not held to the same kind of like nuclear, okay, I won't nuke you, you won't nuke me because they don't really care. They have their own agenda. And so that was also what inspired the creation of it being a domestic terrorist organization, not a foreign one. It had to be extremist because extremism is also becoming a huge threat in our country today. So I basically just knock out everything that's terrifying all at once. Absolutely. And and to to add to that, there's no identity, right? You don't know who's behind the screen, right? Yeah, Whereas exactly. With that, within anyone. international law, at least you can hold the country accountable or whatever it is. But with this, you don't know who it is, right? And and they yeah. can be remote. You don't know where they're located. I guess in in the case of the story you're talking about in in your book, they're they're domestic, but it could be anywhere in the world for all we know. Totally. Oh, absolutely. And 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 it, it's also it can happen. It doesn't have to be even as direct as like ransomware or a zero to virus. We even saw the subtlety of how it can affect and shape what with the with Russia's interference in the political election and how you can see how like how many bots are turning people against each other by throwing flake fuel to the fire on social media by just throwing out very comments that incite a lot of anger 
not to go off on like another path, but it's just crazy how it really can be to your point, like anywhere, anything influencing any, it's like, what do you trust? What do you, nothing feels sacred or safe anymore. And mm-hmm. like I said earlier, it, me processing that, I think and processing those fears was very much a part of writing this book because yeah. it, I do feel yeah. And and a lot it's been interesting because the number one not the number one, a lot of the feedback that I get from readers who have read it really love it, but they're like, wow, it's dark. And yeah. I never thought that when I was writing it. I know it's now that we're talking about all of the heavy topics, yes, of course it is very dark and heavy, but I was never writing it by being like, Oh, this is dark or not. I mm. just but it is dark. Yeah. I know that sounds, that's been one of the things that I've taken away from this. And most people have been like, wow, this is dark. And I'm like, yeah, I guess it is. I never thought I was a dark type of writer, but it is. Yeah. It, I agree. It, it is dark. Like, I, and it reminds me, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie on Netflix, uh, Leave the World Behind with Julia Roberts. It's I haven't kind of seen it on- yet, but I've yeah. had a lot of people tell me after reading, they're like, you need to read this or so- yeah. watch it. Sorry. And I was like, oh, yeah. no. I-, I watched it with my son. I don't know if I should have, but he was taken aback. He's like, oh, this is very dark. I was like, yeah, but I-, I agree. It's dark. But at the same time, it's interesting to see how much we rely on everything and all these yeah. technologies Yeah, and what can happen. And mm-hmm. I-, I don't want to ruin the movie for you, but there's one scene where all these Teslas are just coming and like blocking the highway and they're just all crashing into each other and that's the world we live in so it's always fascinating to see that it's not someone's crazy imagination that's creating this thing there is some sense of reality behind it too right so that's where i wanted to touch on even with your writing process now Mm -hmm. i guess one of the things i'm always interested in with writers uh often there is that whole notion of writer's block, right? So mm-hmm. how do you move past that? And what kind of like time blocks do you set aside where you know you're in the zone to write? That's another great question. As of late, it's been very challenging for me to set aside time to write and finish the second book, which is something that I've really grappled with these last few months. But I've also tried at the same time to relieve that stress of me trying to be like, okay, focus on writing the book because the first 90 books after your, the first 90 days after your book comes out are, are very important and helping to get the word out there. And so I was like, I know I'm not going to be able to do all of this on top of also, of course. And so I have just now started turning my attention back to having dedicated chunks of time. And a lot of that has been on like weekends and I'm going to try to start waking up in the mornings early and do that's just my new year's goal for myself i don't know if it's going to happen but that's also what i'm hoping to help move the process along a lot faster because now that so many people have read the first book and now i'm getting all these questions like when's it coming out when's the second one and i'm like coming coming so i'm going to try to be more intentional with that and regardless of when I can fit it in, I have to be intentional with it because I don't have the type of time that I had before when I was able to write the first without so many other distractions. And so my encouragement 
is always to people who lead a really busy life or who have a full-time job and who want to do something like this is just be very intentional with that. And you do have to say no to things. You have to say no to dinners. You have to say no to watching mindless TV sometimes at night and just like pound out the keyboard. But you still need those days too. And just trying to fit in the time where you can is so important. Yeah. And then back to your question about writer's block. I've been sitting with a story for so long that I feel as if, and I'm like, oh my gosh, my going to jinx myself, knock on wood. I haven't quite experienced the writer's block yet, but I can imagine after I'm done with this series, I will. I don't even, and that's also something that really scares me is thinking beyond this, these characters and this story, what's next? Because I don't know anything else other than them. And some writers are very daunted by that, by like, how do I create a story that lasts three books? I could never do that. But other writers like myself are like, well, I can never come up with just like a different book, a different this, a different voice, new characters, just on a whim. I feel so connected to them. And I feel like I've just really gotten to know them. And so much of that is continuing their story arc into these next books. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, <laughs> you're lucky in that sense then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. But I've also had to do, for the second book, I had to do a lot of outlining, which has also really helped. So I know what's coming and what's happening and how to get the characters there. I will have to do a lot of filling in. But I know how the book, how this book is going to end, but I don't know how the series is going to end. So maybe talk to me after I'm done with this book and work okay. on the third and then I'll be like, I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, and it'll sound good. And just to come back full circle, and this is something I've personally experienced because I've talked to a lot of people that are close to retirement and they spent their whole careers working mm -hmm. for a company or in the corporate world and, or they've been laid off and then they never really focused on any other skills or hobbies or passions on the side because yeah. like we talked about earlier, a lot of their energy was just going into work Yeah, and they come out of it on the other end, whether they've lost their job or they're on the verge of retirement and they're like, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And again, I haven't really explored this on the podcast yet, but it's interesting. And, and what I try to tell people is seek something purposeful in your life, right? That gives you purpose outside of work. And obviously in your case, it's the writing and being able to share your art with the world. For me, I've been able to find purpose in being able to work with other people as a therapist or do this podcast. It really gives you something, but I don't know if, if that's something you reflected on or thought about as you were going on your journey. And, and I know you also said it wasn't a knee jerk reaction and that's important mm -hmm. too, because one of the things I try to remind people is even if you decide that you want to start a new journey or a new path, you never want to burn any bridges because yeah, you never absolutely. know where someone can support you or where you may need that relationship in the future. Absolutely. And, even if you're unhappy, it doesn't mean you burn any bridges. But yeah, I just wanted to explore in terms of what are your thoughts and what was going through your mind as far as, you know, having that sense of purpose and something that you were really passionate about and how that helped you. These are all such great and important questions and conversations to be having. And I do think we need to have more of them. And I think 
I, I think that it's so important that people understand that there's so many different paths in life. And there's there's a few things that kind of really influence my decision. One is that I do feel as if this doesn't work out, I can go back to corporate America. Yeah. I have a strong resume. I I worked really hard at my job and had really great connections and people I still love dearly at that at Google. Will I be able to go back to Google being here? Not necessarily, but I think I'd have people who are willing to help me try to find something or in the area, find something. So I do feel like I can go back to corporate America if I need to. So that was always something just knowing that. And I think when we're at the age that we are, we're very lucky is that nothing's permanent. And so I can try this. I can give this dream my all. I don't think I'll ever regret that. And if it doesn't end up being able to financially sustain us into a point that we need it to, then I go back to corporate America. I have a really, I have more things on my resume in terms of building my own brand and business and how I navigated that. So I think having that kind of approach and perspective is really important is if you need to pivot, you can, where no one is Mm -hmm. stuck in these types of situations, unless to your point, at the end of your career and you're just now reaching that point where you're like oh now what which i do think causes its own panic in people and then i think also just knowing so much of one of my friends said this to me and she was so right is that like wow so much of your life was going through the motions when i was at my full-time job right like what kind of life is going through the motions no, like I'm not I'm not saying that what I'm doing right now isn't very hard and demanding in its own right. And I've had to hustle way more than I thought I would. Yeah. But I'm not going through those motions anymore. And I, I am working for myself and I'm investing in myself in a way that I never would have been able to if I was still working for a corporation. And so sometimes taking those risks on yourself is really important. And just knowing that you don't just have to go through the motions of life of just calls, pings, meetings, pings, calls, emails. Yeah. And yeah, it just, I don't think, yeah, sometimes you just have to walk away from them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. And a lot of the people I've talked to when they're at that end point or they've lost their jobs, the sense they have is I really have nothing to show for it. Like I put in 15, 20 years in this place or or in this career and that's it. What now? I really have. Whereas to your point, if you've invested that time and energy in yourself, Mm -hmm. even if things don't work out, like you said, you can always go back, but at least you've got like some skills that you've developed or you have something to show for it. And I think personally, Anytime you hustle it and you put yourself through these difficult situations where you're really grinding it out, you're learning a lot about yourself, but you're also developing really good life skills that you can use anywhere. Totally. And unfortunately, those are intangible, but you can't really put it on paper, but they do take you a long way. They do. They really do. And just even the connection fully immersing myself in the author world and the connections that I've had to make are connections that are entirely different in my tech career. And you also, I think it's also important to know 
and I remind myself of this because I have to, as an as I experience an imposter syndrome in a very real way compared to all these other authors, is think about how long it takes to build a new network and new connections and learn the ropes of a new job, let alone an entirely new industry and career. It takes time. And so that's one thing that I'm also going to really focus on for myself this year is like giving myself grace and time to learn this and know that it's not going to happen overnight and how long it took for me working at a company like Google. And I I never actually really experienced imposter syndrome at Google, to be quite honest. And I think that's because I was never invested in that job. Like I'm invested in this job and in this and trying to be successful in this job. And so that's been an interesting, that's been interesting for me to have to navigate. And like I said, just making sure that I'm trying to give myself the time and space to figure this out, I think is going to be really important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and imposter syndrome, (laughs) I think I struggle with it every day. And Ryan, one of my, one of my favorite authors, Ryan Holiday said something that's always stuck with me and I often forget about it, but as you were sharing, it came back to me is he says, you often see the results, the vanity or the results, but you don't necessarily see the 10,000 or 20,000 hours the person was hustling in the background. And we often lose sight of that when we're not getting those results. And, and I, I forget it all the time. And I fall into that imposter syndrome myself where it's is this really worth it? Is this really something I should be doing? Am I at it? Like maybe I should just go back to what feels comfortable. And yeah, unfortunately, I don't. I'm not growing when I'm comfortable, right? And that's why I think we need to challenge ourselves. So true. That's so true. I'm gonna remember that. And it's a, it's something that I have also really tried to keep in perspective on my journey is because. I'm surrounded by all of these successful, in any sort of of career path, you're surrounded by all these successful individuals. In my case, I'm like, oh my gosh, all these successful, amazing authors. And so often when you read about their journey, you're like, oh, this was their 6th, 10th, 20th, 22nd book that just Mm -hmm. hit like the New York Times that they worked on. And to your point, it's, oh, those are the results. And you just see that. But what's the story and the years behind and so everyone has their journey and there are, of course, those rare lightning strike scenarios. But I think no matter what and no matter what you do, perseverance and just not giving up is the key. Like you Absolutely. just really can't. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think anything that's sustainable over the long term requires that work to go in, right? To your Agreed. point, when you have those lightning in a bottle moments i don't think it's sustainable right the one hit yeah. wonders where are so they so true that's a really good point that's such yeah. such a good point it's because they've never had to maintain it and be like and sometimes work toward it and i can't think of an example now but you're i think you're exactly <laughs> right yeah i think it's just you when you're grinding it out and hustling you're building those skills that will get you through right yeah and, and that fortitude and yeah, exactly. And if you've experienced that failure and you've learned how to get out of it, those skills come in handy. And that's why I was saying, even just putting yourself out there and perhaps taking that risk 
you are building certain skills that will help you in the future. Yeah. And you just have another tool in your, in your toolbox. Yeah, exactly. And I also just think knowing that like your path is never going to look the same as anybody else's. And so you have to do things differently in your own accord, in your own way. And I, I think that's also really important to know in this game where we do end up having imposter syndrome and comparing ourselves to people. I have a question for you that I'm curious to get your take on and that I feel like I've been hearing a lot of buzz around. What are your thoughts on manifestation? What does manifestation mean to you? Do you think it works? Something that uh, you practice with coaching or with therapy? Is, it, is there something I should be doing? I practice it personally, but for me, it's a, it's a pretty difficult thing to answer because I think for me, it's something you can't really explain once you've experienced it. It's mm -hmm. one of those things, but I also have more of a spiritual component to it where uh, I've realized if I can manifest things that I've actually experienced it in the last couple of years, so I can definitely say it's real, mm -hmm. but it has to come for me, what I've realized it has to come from a complete like place of like purity, like a clean heart and no ego attached. And I've been able to see this where for me, I believe in God. So it's okay. God's making these things happen and aligning these things because it's truly meant to be pure and beneficial. And it's not uh, my ego has nothing to do with it. Anytime my ego is involved where I'm looking for validation or uh, an audience, an applause, uh, it doesn't happen. And yeah. before I used to get really upset and now I've realized, okay, yeah, my, there was even a fraction of my ego involved. Hence, that's why it didn't happen. So lesson learned, let's try mm -hmm. again, go back to yeah. the drawing board. Yeah. And that's the best way I can explain it personally. Uh, yeah. But like I said, I've seen it happen when I've really put my mind to something and I'm like, okay, I'm going to make this happen. But I have to constantly go back to, okay, why do I want this thing to happen? Mm-hmm. Is it because I truly feel like it's purposeful and it's going to benefit others and I'm really doing it because I feel like it's a service to the world mm -hmm. or is it I'm doing it because it's something I can puff my chest out for and feel the sense of validation or yeah, just mm -hmm. getting the applause. Yeah. No, I think that's such an important, I think that's. That's got, that's so true. And I think when you reflect back, like we were discussing earlier on your own journey and all of the different flips or bumps or roads or why things have happened, I do believe things have happened exactly as they should. Yeah. And I've seen it for myself and I've seen it for my husband too and his journey, which is very different than mine. Yeah. And I think... Uh, what I'm trying to do with manifestation is having faith in that everything has happened as it should and it will continue to yeah. like, you know, yeah. I think that um, incorporation of that is important for looking for forward thinking and for learning how to trust the manifestation process. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, if it's, 
if it's happening as it should, then you should just let it go. Right. So anytime yeah. I get caught up in the stress, oh, uh, this is like the next six months, like last year when I was doing my practicum, I'm like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Yeah. But I had to remind myself, I'm here now. I got here when I mm -hmm. thought three months ago, I wouldn't get this opportunity. I've gotten this opportunity. I just need to lean into it and surrender to it. And it's, if it should happen the way it should, it will happen. And me stressing about it is not going to change the outcome anyways. So there's always so that, true. but that's, I think that's the battle of life, right? Like we're yeah. all here figuring it out and that's our, we're all on our individual journeys and that's what we're trying to figure out too, right? It's yeah. a constant battle. It's that friction. Every day I'm fighting that battle where I have goals for myself and I don't see how I'm going to get there, but I'm getting there every day. I'm moving a step closer, right? Yeah. And sometimes the, uh, like the path is not how I carved it out. Neither is yeah. the destination, right? And I yeah. look back and I'm like, this turned out a lot better than I even imagined it to be. You're so right. And I feel like I've learned that too, is like the destination that I thought was, okay, the book's published. It's out there. Yeah. That wasn't the destination. It's finding the people to read the story and how does it influence them and their and their lives, even if only for a few days or hours that they're reading it. And so I feel like I've experienced that as well. It's like something that you once constantly coming to terms with that, like something that you thought once was, isn't it anymore. Exactly. And I think that's also well, an example of your growth, your own personal growth on your journey too. Yeah. And I heard somewhere a while ago, right? Once you reach the peak of a mountain, you're on the valley of the next one, right? So, yeah. So, so true. Ain't that the constant. truth? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Claire, for this conversation. I've really enjoyed it. And, and oh, thank you too. for sharing so much of, of your story and all the work you've done. Is there anything else you feel like you would like to share with the listeners or we haven't covered yet that you wanted to add? Man. It's like it's such a loaded, so much pressure to it. I would just say, I would just say to the listeners again, I love what you said is like you um, quoting the other author. So often you see the results and I, just, I would just want listeners to know that I'm still so much of my life. I feel overwhelmed by on a mm -hmm. daily basis and I don't feel like I have the answers and I don't feel and I'm not like at the epitome of my success yet but to your point I think on this journey that I'm on I'm taking steps forward every day and I'm learning every day and that has taken a and I forget this often but it's taken a huge amount of faith in myself in order to do that and to take this risk on myself and so while I don't feel like I have it figured out, and while this is still very hard every day, every week, trying to get the word out there, I know it's going to be worth it. And I think you have to know in your heart that you're worth it to do these types Absolutely. of things. And, yeah. and that's what I would, I don't know, that's what I want to leave people with. Yeah. You're worth yeah. that. You're worth that. Why would you not think you're worth that? And I have to say that to myself and remind myself that too. 
I don't think that I'm like, I'm worth it. But saying this out loud to you, I'm like, wait a minute, I am worth it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think it's, a, again, for me, it's a constant reminder to myself too. And there's so many things I'm like, I, I should be writing these things down and, and reminding myself because yeah. I struggle with it. But if you're not going to believe in yourself, why would you expect anyone else to, right? Totally. To exactly. Exactly. So take the risk on yourself because you're worth it. That's what I'm saying. Exactly. All right. Okay. That's probably a great place to leave. But I, so. I, I do want to give you an opportunity to yeah. share with the listeners how they can find you, how they can get uh, your book. What are some ways they can do that? Yes, please. Firstly, please reach out to me um, on any social media. I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Facebook um, at Claire Eisenthal. I'm on Twitter, now X. I'm on Threads. Please find me there, all the things. My website is claireisenthal.com. You can also reach out to me that way. It goes straight to my email. And you can buy my book anywhere. You can buy it on Barnes & Noble. You can buy it on Amazon, Walmart. And I always try to encourage people to go to their local bookstore. And if the local bookstore isn't carrying it, then order it through them. <laughs> okay, perfect. No, Thank and I'll put all that me. in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Thank no, you. Thank, it was a pleasure. It was so wonderful to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you for checking out this episode with Claire. As always, please leave a review or a comments in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. And if you haven't done so, subscribe to the podcast, either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube. And please check out the sponsors in the description. Those are the best and easiest ways to support the podcast. Thank you again. And until next week.